Hey y'all, you're listening to Word on the Street, an OML and RRC podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to Word on the Street. Um, I am Kiera and I'll be your host for today and we're going to talk about queer mental health. Uh, But before we do that, I'm going to let the rest of the people on the call with me uh, introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Grace Urbanato. I use she, her pronouns, and I am the logistics coordinator for the violence prevention educators on campus. Hey, y'all. Um, my name is Lucia Hodges. I am, uh, I use she, her pronouns, and I um, am the PR coordinator for the Wellness Center, as well as their um, eating disorder um, like specialist. Hi, I'm Clarice Ballesteros. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm one of the therapists in residence, and I also facilitate SCQ at SCU, which is an LGBTQ plus affirming group on campus. Hey, y'all. I'm Colleen. I'm a sophomore double majoring in music and diplomacy and violence prevention. Um, I'm a they, themer, and I'm co-president of the Balance Prevention Educators. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you all here today. Um, and like I said, we're going to be talking about queer mental health. Uh, I think to get to ball rolling is kind of just address um, just like what is queer mental health and like how can that like be seen on campus? Um, so I can start, uh, for me, what queer mental health is, um, is just, um, just dealing with mental health as a queer person, I feel is a little bit different than how it would be as a straight person dealing with mental health, because you, especially being at a, a predominantly white institution, it's the feeling of that you're kind of different from everybody. So it's just this feeling of like, um, sort of being an outsider and not knowing like who specifically uh, you can rely on for support uh, because the school never really like directly says, oh, this is where you can, you have to like really search um, for like queer mental health here on campus, in my opinion. (laughs) Uh, It's not really directly stated like, oh, here it is. Um, So yeah, if anyone else would like like, to share their like take on uh, queer mental health and how uh, they view it, that would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've found that I'm pretty comfortable using the Cowell Center resources. I've taken advantage of them in the past, but it was absolutely something that I had to, you know, realize was a safe resource for me first. And so, again, they don't really advertise that there are queer mental health resources. So it was something that I felt like I had to figure out first before I knew that it was, it wasn't really presented overtly as something that was going to be a safe space for LGBTQ identifying people. So eventually I got to the point where I was able to use those resources and I found them very helpful, but I agree that they really weren't presented that way at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. um, I think that being at a very heteronormative institution, um, it's definitely a challenge um, trying to balance mental health and um, my queer identity um and try and also like just honestly like being queer at the school is really hard sometimes um and I think that like the the wellness center is trying to incorporate lgbtq plus 
mental health resources into our resources. Um, it's not something that we used to do in the past. Um, and so I think we're trying, we have a task force um, ran by Grace Evans um, for specifically targeting marginalized communities um, and their mental health. And so she's doing a lot of work with LGBTQ plus mental health as well. And I'm working with that as well. That's really amazing. No, you can go. Yeah, I would say similarly for VPE. Um, yeah, I've tried throughout the year to sort of like integrate like LGBTQIA plus like issues like into our programming. Um, and that's including not only like trainings for my execs, but also for um, the presentations that my learning and development team has been giving to uh, the fraternities. I'm not a student, but when I think about queer mental health in general, I first think about like mental health is a human experience, but then I think we have to understand like minority stress to take into account like how having any marginalized identity or then having multiple marginalized identities, right, can then compound minority stress, right? So minority stress is something that is chronic, which means it happens throughout the lifespan. It's socially created, which means it's society's problem. Therefore, it's society's responsibility to fix it instead of the individual. And minority stress affects not just our mental health, but also our physical health. And so I think when we think about queer mental health, we have to think about all of that and why it is more than just the human experience. Yeah, I definitely think that's true, especially as you were saying, like it being like marginalized uh, mental health. That's definitely where like intersectionality comes into play. There's so many things that make up a person. It's and it all can like feel like somewhat of a weight on your shoulders, especially being at a predominantly white institution, like having all these feelings of like you it it makes it just feels seems like you're an outsider because you don't see a lot of people um who look like you or you feel they don't like experience the same things you experience. Uh, but thankfully we do have the MCC. So people are able to find like little communities that they can like um, feel supported. Um, I'm glad Cupaca was formed because that feels like it's hitting on like a specific um, marginalized group of queer um, people of color. And I, I feel like um, that's a good way um, to find like support um, within the community. Um, speaking of being like a queer, <laughs> just being queer students on campus like what what do you think um like the stigma is like behind like being because like it's one thing having to be a queer but like as a college student we're already burdened with like a lot of things like class work uh, um any outside um commitments like all of that can be very like um heavy and um, I'm just curious what you all think about like how how can one like figure out like a balance between like maintaining their own lives while being a college student who's queer? Yeah. I mean, I think for starters is using the resources that our school has and they're limited, but um, coming to the wellness center and like talking to someone who um, has similar experiences. For myself, um, I incorporate different parts, like aspects of wellness um, in my day, every day from journaling to um, 
just taking like a nice outdoor breather. Um, but when intertwined with my queerness, I have noticed that I feel like almost uncomfortable sometimes in my sexuality on campus. Um, and feel like sometimes people are staring maybe and like, no, like I'm always like, oh my God, they know. And I'm like, oh gosh. Um, and I'm very open and I'm very out. Um, but some like in, I have dealt with a lot of um, homophobia. Um, and so it's, it does, I'm, I'm still trying to navigate that myself um, and trying to be so open and out with my sexual identity and being pride, feeling pride in that, um, while in that itself helps with my mental health, um, feeling really like accepting myself. I've, uh, I've, I'm from Georgia, deep South, very small town. Um, and so I do, I grew up with a lot of internalized homophobia. I didn't get to come out until college. Um, and so I think that's still a working process for me, totally like, but being so open and out, um, really helps with me and my mental health. Right. And I feel like, oh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead, Colleen. All right. I feel like, um, I haven't personally experienced overt homophobia here, but I think the predominant mindset is kind of straight until proven otherwise at SCU. So it's just kind of assumed that you are heteronormative um which is which can be damaging in a different way from you know facing overt homophobia because in one way it's it's a safe thing for people to assume that you're straight because lessens the chances that you are going to receive homophobic backlash but at the same time it's it it's really disheartening to not really be identified as who you are um and people automatically assume that you're not your sexual identity without actually stopping to ask. So that's definitely the toughest thing I've found here. But I think finding a group of people who I found safe expressing my identity to and knowing that those people will always support me has been very helpful. Yeah, I kind of have like the opposite experience almost because like I'm like very masked and I feel like there aren't a lot of people like me like on campus. Um, but one thing that has helped out has helped me out a lot like with my mental health is um, yeah, just like making music like I mentioned that I'm a music major. So I make like electronic and rock music and I like writing mm -hmm. songs about experiences that like I've had that like I can't find anywhere else so like I'm often really frustrated by like I don't know like being like the only not the only masked person but like probably one of the only masked people on campus um so I sort of like vent about those frustrations through music and that helps a lot yeah, similarly, I'm an artist and I, I do the same thing kind of of putting all my that's another huge tactic of mine for mental health. Going on to Grace's point about how like you're straight until proven otherwise, I feel like, again, like I have a very like different and almost opposite experience from that. Like, for example, people will assume that because I'm masked, like I have like more experience or whatever. Uh, yeah like most recently like one of my friends I was talking to was like 
oh like you're so you're such like a self-assured lesbian like I would have thought that like you'd like been with like more girls and I was like what so <laughs> yeah that's yeah two sides of a spectrum yeah I think you all highlight the fact that there really isn't a one-size-fit-all and there really isn't one queer common experience so for us to say, like, here's the solution for everyone, here's the resource for everyone, here's the tip, here's the trick, that would be kind of like, I don't know, our whole point is like expanding everyone's conceptions of identities and human beings, right? So why should we subscribe to categories or boxes of ways to take care of ourselves? So that being said, I think like, that's a beautiful part of it, but that's also super challenging, right? Is like, what works for one does not work for all. But what I think is so cool about what each of you expressed is like, you're putting in the work to figure out what works for each of you. And you're also acknowledging the things that aren't working and doing what you can to change them so that other people have more choices. Like that's so important. Yeah, I think to a point uh, uh, Lucia was making was um, uh, she had mentioned that like she was out and proud and I love that. I'm also very out and proud, uh, but it it sometimes feel like I don't see a lot of people also out and proud and uh, that's completely understandable. So that makes it a little bit hard to really know like who who among us can I go to for support? Who can I rely on? Because um, I just it's it's hard because I don't want to assume who's queer but it's hard because like not everyone's as like out and proud about it and um it that's okay like um come out on your own terms um it is your uh decision to make so it it's just hard to like sometimes find community because we're all scattered on this campus so it's like where do I like look because there's not like a singular place for us to go and feel um and like just be ourselves essentially um and um, kind of to that, I, I just want to talk a, a little bit about like the difficulty, like reaching out to um, others and just resources um, here on campus. Um, uh, like I was saying, like it's, it's a, especially coming in when, during my first year, it was hard to really navigate the campus and really understand like what, um, what can help me specifically as someone who's queer, as someone who, as, as a BIPOC person, uh, like I was saying earlier, nothing was really advertised specifically for um, the identities that I had. So it was a little bit difficult um, finding like that um, community. Um, I'm just wondering if anyone else had that difficulty or has seen like that happen on campus. Totally. Um, I think that I kind of automatically assume that if I'm seeking out mental health support, that they're not going to understand my queerness or like my queer experience, because that plays a huge role into my mental health. Um, and I mean, it's something I, I go to therapy every week and it's something I talk a lot about. So, um, and so I just kind of automatically assume. Um, and I think that's really hard because I, I really want the person that I'm talking about my my career experience with um also kind of 
knows what like ex understands it um and there's a I think there's like a prop like a lack of that here um and so seeking out help is super difficult for me personally because I just don't I don't want to talk about my career experience as someone who's going to be like oh what <laughs> so I really I really like need someone to really be able to relate and help me through that um who understand yeah I think like um adding on to that point I just wanted to like drop a resource um the Trevor project is dedicated to um ending LGBTQ suicide globally um they have a hotline they're a really wonderful resource at least in my experience um and I think that like a lot of the people who like volunteer like to be like advocates on the hotline like are also part of the community so that has given me some solace from time to time yeah I think also going um I think my internalized homophobia also kind of restricts me from seeking out help because I'm always fearful that someone's going to say something or like be judgmental I sometimes like especially with adults and I think this is totally just related to how I grew up but especially with adults I get really fearful of coming out to them um so seeking out help and having that fear I like I don't yeah that's just so deeply instilled in me so I just I think it's hard to navigate around that yeah, I just want to recognize the fact that, right, you, you both or you all are kind of talking about like these risks that you had to take to learn about these resources, to then take advantage of these resources. And when they're not necessarily super visible, right? Because we think of it on the other side is like, yes, in CAPS and the counseling center, we're working on like, therapists kind of showing more of their personal identities um and also that's tricky because then you're asking individuals to also choose to come out in the workplace right so there could be a whole conversation about that right like how do we signal to students and potential clients that we have those identities that we can provide those affirming spaces while also acknowledging like the human beings doing that work and their safety and their journey and their identity, right? And self-expression. And so um, I know I'm not the one to be asking questions, but I would love to hear the things that you all like, how do you navigate finding those like signals of affirming places on campus or just like affirming human beings as you're mm -hmm. navigating different spaces? I know when I first thought um, mental health resources from the Cowell Center, um, after the initial triage appointment, I went and looked up some of the therapists that they had available and looked specifically for the therapists and psychiatrists who had in their bios that they were LGBTQ supporting, interested in working with that community. So even if they weren't exactly part of the community, at least I knew that they were going to be an accepting resource for me. Um, but again, it's very hard because you're saying it's a whole other obstacle to navigate coming out in the workplace. So it's it's hard to, you know, find someone who is um, a mental health provider, but is also out. Um, I have not experienced 
a therapist in the past who is part of the LGBTQ community. I found people who are very accepting of it, but I do absolutely think there's a difference between, you know, the help you can get from somebody who wants to help with your situation and the help you can get from somebody who has experienced it themselves. Yeah, I think um, my my girlfriend had to pretty much just jump right on into her um, sexuality. She um, did not she did not understand that she was queer until we started dating, um, and she struggled significantly um, with that and just navigating her her newfound sexuality and having to come out to her friends who she was fearful would not be accepting. Um, and she also sought out help at, from CAPS and did the same thing of looking for um, LGBTQ plus affirming care um, from those therapists. And um, I, she told me that she had a great experience um, and that it was very helpful. I think um, like from my personal experience, like I just got really lucky because my therapist also happens to be a lesbian and she also happens to be masked. So like yeah, that's helpful because I think that no matter how much training or education you have, that will never equate, like, the actual, like, lived experience of, like, um, specific identities. So, again, I just got lucky with that, but also I know, um, like, Kim Shu of the Aris Center, like, is very, like, LGBTQ, like, support. I'm sorry, she's a very big supporter of the LGBTQ community. Um, so she's a very valuable resource as well. And also, um, I'm just like name dropping now, but uh, I like helped interview like some of the candidates who were going to be, um, who, who would have been like hired for like the cap for caps. And um, one of them, Daniel Reed is also a wonderful like LGBTQ expert. I'm cautious about saying the word expert, but take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you all are saying like really good points. I like when I was first like figuring out my identities, um, it it was hard to like um decide whether or not who who felt comfortable to come out to to come out to because um it was just I don't want to say it was necessarily internalized homophobia, but just I think as a society, we're instilled with thinking that, oh, if we were to come out to somebody, they're just immediately going to uh, just be indifferent about it or just get like upset about it for no good reason. And it it definitely took some time and definitely took um, being surrounded by the right people to make me feel more comfortable about my identity and being more willing to share um, it to people, especially people I, I, I was close to. Um, um, uh, something else I, I would like to talk about is um, kind of going back to being like a college, a queer college student. And like it, uh, I don't know if it's just me, but to me, it seems that we have a somewhat of a great more deal of stress as, a, as being a college student. There's just a lot to um, on our plate besides just like being a college student there. I just I'm just curious about what's everyone's thoughts on that like do you think we do you think Christians like have more stress on their plate or what, what do you think's going on totally 
I, I mean, I think having dealt with blatant homophobia, um, both directed at me and my girlfriend um, here at Santa Clara, um, it puts a, it, uh, that's obviously very detrimental to your mental health. And I, um, and I have an anxiety disorder. And so um, I think that there's, there's just challenges around being a, a queer college student that other people do not have to experience. Um, and I think that it definitely has impacted my, my studies. And I think it's impacted um, several aspects of my wellness um, just because of those added stressors. And, and I keep bringing up my internalized homophobia too, but um, that's also had a really big toll on my mental health. And um, that's just something that my hetero cis friends don't deal with. Um, and so that definitely adds a lot to my plate. Yeah, I was going to um, add on to that because like, well, our community is like very, very diverse, like the LGBTQ community. And there are many different ways to like experience like being a part of that community. And um, so for example, I was going to say like, I was just going to comment on like the nuances of like um, certain struggles like that relate to certain identities. Like for example, um, I have a lot of friends who are queer and femme and like they struggle with like not like being gay enough because like they have boyfriends or what have you. And on the opposite side of the spectrum, like someone like me, like, I don't know, I'll get like called like gay as an insult or like the D slur. So it's just like there are multiple different struggles. And also I want to highlight like the trans and non-binary communities, which I'm also a part of, um, like also experience like disproportionate rates of stress. Um yeah, just because like as of as of April like 2023, like there have been at least like around 420 like anti-LGBTQ bills introduced to state legislatures. So I think that the like, yeah, like the political climate is also a very big factor in your mental health. Yeah, I mean, not only are you all living in like the SEU, paradise whatever bubble and all of the trials and tribulations that come with that and the microaggressions and all of that business right but then in the context of like the state the county the world the country right and all these things that are happening and those are just layers right it's just like I really appreciate Colleen that you brought up some identities and voices that aren't in the room today because their experience here at SCU is also very different than maybe the people that are gathered here right now, right? Like transitioning in college, transitioning, being BIPOC in college, right? Like there's all these layers of where you see this extra mental health just challenge because of the weight of navigating all those layers and you don't get to like separate anything out and be like okay right now I'm just gonna stress out about my classes and oh right now I'm just gonna stress out about like 
my ethnic identity or my queer identity. No, it's like always being thrown at you. It's kind of like pulling a string, right? Of like a sweater that unravels, it's all connected. And so I think it's really tricky to figure out how to hold all of that. But I think you all kind of earlier mentioned ways that each of you navigate how you carry that additional stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and coming from my work in, with eating disorders, um, queer people are significantly more likely to develop an eating disorder than cis hetero people. Um, and transgender people, 15% of trans people um, develop eating disorders in their lifetime. So it's, I mean, it's clear that there's a correlation between that and um, struggling with your identity and also having to not, like having those added mental health issues. Um, And from, I was in treatment for two years for my eating disorder and I'm not kidding. I think almost 90% of the patients I met were queer. Um, So it's very telling of like, that's clearly like was an added stressor that definitely was correlated to my, my sexuality. I also, sorry, I just wanted to quickly comment on like the financial stress that sometimes comes along with being a part of the LGBTQ community. Like again, as I've mentioned, like I'm trans mask. So um, yeah, just like getting new clothes, getting like body wash that doesn't smell like flowers, like all that sort of stuff. Like it, it sounds small, but it does add up cost wise. Um, and that can be a burden to the LGBTQ community. And as a whole, I don't think we have a ton of like economic leverage, at least in the United States. So I would say that, um, yeah, that's just also a big issue. Yeah. Um, to that point and to a point you had made earlier about like being like um, not looking um, gay enough, um, something that I kind of stress about practically almost daily, unfortunately, is like whether I'm like being perceived as um, female because I identify as non-binary, but sometimes I worry like people assume that I'm female. So I'm sometimes worrying about like, how am I dressed? Like, are people going to think I'm dressed too girly? Because, and unfortunately that's what my closet is full of. It's full of like a bunch of the, and I, clothes should not have gender, but like, it's hard to like separate clothes and gender. Um, So it's just a lot of my clothes feel very gendered and feel very feminine. And I don't, I can't afford to like redo my whole closet. So I'm uh, left with having to work with what I got and trying to figure out like, what what can I do to this to make it seem less feminine? Um, What can I do to this to make it just feel more like me? What can I like wear to feel comfortable in and not like having to essentially please other people? Totally. When I like literally within a week of coming out to my friends, I went to the store and was like, I have to buy more like lesbian presenting clothing. Um, and luckily I'm I'm very I'm so feminine. I'm just like the most like when I was little, like my I only wanted to wear dresses. I was I'm so feminine. Um and I luckily it was able to kind of, I just felt that that was necessary. I was like, to be validated in my sexuality, I need to dress a certain way. Um, And luckily I've come to accept myself a little bit more and still wear my dresses um, and hope that 
people still respect my sexuality um, and don't presume that I'm, I'm mean, assume that I'm straight. <laughs> I was going to say this conversation reminds me a lot of Grim Grace, you might recall um, the whole like sweatshirt debacle that was going on in VPE for context. Um, in the fall and winter quarters, um, members on my executive board presented ideas for like VPE merchandise that were like extremely feminine and like very like pink. And one of them had like a rather objectifying design of like a nude female figure on them. And it felt rather isolating to be one of the only voices in the room who was saying, hey, this doesn't apply to everyone. And this can be like alienating to certain communities. Um, so yeah, I would say that like clothes and presentation, like, yeah, can definitely be a big factor of stress. And like, I also do want to stress that like, there's nothing wrong with like femininity. Of course, I'm just saying like, it doesn't apply to everyone. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And little assumptions like that definitely add up as far as affecting your mental health, you know, especially when you've got so many other concerns going on, you know, something like that can be very triggering, even if it was not meant to be malicious, you know, I'm sure there were no bad intentions, but, you know, really? people just don't really, don't really, I don't know, they don't think about it from the LGBTQ perspective, if they're not part of the community always. People don't think about it, right? I think that's a big underlying theme here is the fact of like, I mean, Colleen's saying like, right, that the queer community doesn't have that financial like power, right? And then before you all were saying of like, people make assumptions about your identities because the queer community doesn't have the social power on campus, right? It's like all these assumptions, the fact that people can get away with saying like, I have made it to adulthood and I've never had to think about the queer experience. That is a huge impact on mental health, right? Just knowing that the world wasn't created for you or by you, knowing that the majority of spaces that you're gonna go in was not created for you or by you which is why it was such a great point earlier saying like the existence of all these new groups on campus right like Chewbacca or like even the the thrift um that like the RRC has been doing like collecting clothes and like free clothes for people right like creating these spaces that are created for you by mm -hmm. you that's so important yeah, and it's also important that they just the school in general like show support in other ways um, to um, the LGBTQ plus community. Like for one, something that I'm always thinking about um, because there's not a lot of um, is um, gender neutral restrooms. Uh, I feel that there, I feel like a lot of buildings don't even have at least one um, gender neutral restroom um, in them, which is unfortunate. Or if they do have one, it's like in some secluded, isolated part of um, of the building, like in Benson, um, for example, there is thankfully, I believe one, maybe two, um, but it's like all the way by like Willowman. So, and that's like basically hidden off because like, who's gonna like have to go um, walk there to go use the restroom? It's, 
it's honestly crazy to me how very little um they do because like having a restroom is essential and the fact that they only have like very few gender neutral restrooms um bothers me very much because not a lot of people feel comfortable using a gender specific restroom absolutely i've been doing a little bit of um mapping of the school's bathrooms in general for a different reason we're looking at like the availability of um, lactation spaces and changing spaces for parents but a big thing that we found is that there's not a lot of bathrooms accessible to the public we have a lot of people who a lot of very diverse people who come on this campus every day and there is one marked public bathroom and it is not gender neutral it's a male bathroom and a female bathroom so if it's already hard for us as students and staff here to find bathrooms it's even harder for the thousands and thousands of people that visit this campus every year that go to church in the mission to have to find a space on a campus they don't know where they feel safe just using the bathroom there's just not they're not there they don't exist here it's it's a safety issue right i mean students will report not going to the bathroom for hours on end, not changing certain hygiene products for hours on end because there isn't a bathroom, right? And that causes like physical health impact, mental health impact, right? Like um, the Trevor Project, which Colleen mentioned earlier, um, their 2023 National Survey on Mental Health um, and LGBTQ plus youth. So that's like ages 13 to like 26 or something. Um, they found that schools just providing gender neutral bathrooms. If you go to a school that provides a gender neutral bathroom, the percentage of those respondents were significantly less likely to think about um, ending their own lives. It's a serious issue, right? It's not, it's not about comfort. It is about safety. And so I really appreciate that you that you bring that up, right? Hi everyone, this is Anissa. A little break from the conversation to let you in on some things that are gonna be going on this week. First thing that we have, uh, SAE Sean is hosting Thursday Swag and Siesta. That's gonna be happening every Thursday from 12 to 1 p.m. at the OML house every Thursday to hang out, take a nap before your next class and grab something you like. Everything is free. Anything that you want from the Office for Multicultural Learning, that's at the OML house at 832 Market Street across from SWIG. Next up, we have a collaboration from the RSC and the Wellness Center, and they're going to be putting on an ice cream social. That's going to be happening Thursday, June 1st at 5 p.m. at the Wellness Center. That is at 852 Market Street across from SWIG. We hope to see you there. After that we have another queer craft corner and actually the last queer craft corner of the quarter uh, at this queer craft corner we're going to be making crochet pride pillows that's going to be happening friday june 2nd from 2 to 4 p.m at the rainbow resource center in lower benson 11 near the cellar once again we hope to see you there it's the last one that we're going to be doing this quarter and the last one that i'm going to be a part of so i would love to see all your faces before i head out cu wellness center and the rsc are going to be doing a suicide prevention walk. It is called When the Rainbow is Enough, a walk for suicide prevention. That's going to be going on June 3rd from 9.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. 
definitely go out, be a proud supporter, do what you can. And, and then after you go and join the walk, you can then go to Rainbow Prom, which is also going to be happening Saturday, June 3rd from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Ignatian Lawn behind Kenna. If you would like to read RSVP for it, I will be leaving a link in the description down below. Also, we're still taking donations, y'all. We still want your clothing. We still want your accessories. We want shoes. We want jewelry. We want unused makeup if you've got it. Um, anything that you can bring by to donate and have for our next event, uh, you can be doing that. Uh, taking that stuff to the RSC on Tuesdays and Wednesdays from 1.30 to 5.30 p.m. And all of that is going to be going towards our last thrifty event of the year. This is going to be going on Sunday, June 4th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. in the Williman Room. Once again, it's a place where you can come in, get some free clothing, get some free accessories, get some free resources. It's a really great event. Even if you're not a part of the trans community, just come and get some clothes, get some stuff that you're going to love forever because we have so many good, great items. Um, and it's just a really fun event. So we really hope to see you there. And now let's go ahead and get back into the conversation. I think, um, yeah, just sort of adding on to that and like sort of like highlighting more of the nuances of this situation. Um, like from my personal experience, something that I have struggled with was that like I don't want to seem like I'm like a threat or something if I use the women's bathroom even though that is like what I was assigned at birth um however I've always been cautious about using the men's restroom because I don't trigger warning for like assault but like I don't want to get like raped there and I don't want to get like found out um so yeah there are a lot of different like power dynamics that are at play when considering like yeah, just like what bathroom to use, which shouldn't be as big of an issue as it is. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, something else um, I think is worth talking about is just like when, when it comes to like support, it also feels like the school doesn't necessarily show much support to the various um, LGBTQ plus communities we do have on campus, um, the Rainbows Resource um, being one in particular, um, our current location isn't necessarily the best because it doesn't feel visible and it doesn't feel like we're visible to the the larger queer community here on campus. It's in it's underneath Benson. You can miss it if you're not looking at it. It's on the way to the cellar. It's it, yeah, and it feels it. I feel like a lot of people feel think it's more of an office space instead of like a space for queer people just to have. Um, and it, to, it's just like, it looks like an office and it we don't want it to be an office. It's meant to serve as um, a space for all to either come to do homework, hang out, maybe sleep on the couch. Cause we do have a couch and it has a lovely crochet blanket on it um, and yeah. I um I definitely appreciate what you're saying about how there's a lack of visibility of resources on campus. Um, however, I wanted to like introduce an initiative that I'm working on for VPE, which is um, and it should be 
I'm hoping to have it launched in the fall, but um, so currently the university, the administration doesn't collect statistics on the LGBTQ community here at Santa Clara, which is like obviously quite detrimental to like our collective, like mental, but also physical health. So as we were talking about um, the issue, the like physical implications of like not going to the bathroom, things like that. Um, sorry, as I was saying, um, there's no data on us and therefore it's like we don't exist so um one initiative that i'm working on is um, a data collection survey which would be confidential and would request students to um disclose like race sexuality gender identity and major so that we can more precisely address the needs of our communities um and also as a side note um there's been a lot of i know like for the mana group like the middle eastern north african student organization on campus has been um struggling to get the administration to recognize them so i've partnered with them in a sense with sarah alcada um to have like middle eastern north african like be an option like for the race section of the survey and I would also have um, the option for you to like write in your own like race or ethnicity and write in your own gender identity. Um, so there's like room for creativity and like expression in that sense, but yeah. Sorry, I know I'm not the one asking, so asking questions, but um, both Kiara and Colleen, I'm curious um, what, y'all do um around sexual assault against queer individuals because I I've experienced it myself and there's so much stigma being like oh I was assaulted by a girl or um and so like what what is the VPEs doing um on that matter and then again like what is how does our RRC support that. So firstly, for the violence prevention educators, I've designed um, trainings and exercises for my execs that encourage them to think critically about uh, cisgender and heterosexual privilege, which of course informs our work. Um, along with that, um, I'm a Again, like I'm a very big proponent of the Trevor Project. I really encourage people to use it whether or not they're part of the community as it is a very valuable resource. Um, and I do recommend that. And I do ask like in a non-judgmental way to like people who come into the wellness center who might be consulting with Free Van Ness or survivor advocate about sexual assault. I'll ask them if they're interested in like receiving any LGBTQ resources um, and just like giving people that option can give them a sense of like feeling seen and feeling heard that I think is very valuable. Um, and in addition to that, like the primary project that I've been working on throughout the year is this data collection survey, which although it might sound like more abstract in theory and it might not sound like it directly relates to like sexual assault prevention within the LGBTQ community, it definitely does because again, without this, without statistics, like 
we don't have numbers that can inform like anti-violent operations on campus. Um, and as for the Rainbow Resource Center, there isn't, to my knowledge, there isn't any like direct protocol intact for how we handle um, a situation like that. Um, but as um, student inclusion educators, we are um, open to like listening to the student, hearing them out. And even though we don't have any like power to do specifically anything, I know there are other um, places we can reach out to like the Title IX, um, maybe even like going to the Wellness Center and talking with other uh, VPEs on like, how how can we help? Because they're like, like I said, I don't know if there's any like um, thing in like progress for us to do as students, but I'm sure we can, and we are willing to like find other ways to help students here on campus, even if we don't like immediately know what to do. Yeah, and for y'all and whoever's listening, um, also knowing that Bree Vaness is an incredible resource um, who is very um, LGBTQ plus affirming and um, definitely recommend her work um, if you're seeking that. And also I wanted to mention that, um, yeah, along with Brie Van Ness, uh, the Wellness Center, it's 852 Market Street across from SWIG. We're open every day, Monday through Friday from 10 to 5. And there's always either um, myself or like another VPE or a peer health educator who's present at the front desk. And um, I can say that the four of us who man the front desk like have received like some training um, obviously, we're not like therapists, but we can provide like non-therapeutic counseling as needed, I suppose. Um, I use the word counseling with caution because, again, I'm not a therapist, but like if you need support, if you just need someone to talk to, we're here. I think when navigating um, topics that could fall under Title IX, the most important thing is like, letting each person know the rules of like reporting on campus because right like it's their story right and some people on campus the majority of people on campus that are employed by the university if they hear that story they are obligated to report that story and that can be really damaging if that person is not ready for that and they're not choosing that right like consent right that's what we're talking about here and so it's so important that we are very clear and like do our part to making sure like every student knows the confidential resources on campus is Brie and the Wellness Center and then the therapists on campus through CAPS. That is it. Everyone else, your professor, your CF, right? Certain students who are employed by the university, staff members of the university, they have Title IX reporting obligations, right? And they can be such a great resource, right? Um, and I've been thinking about the Title IX office while we've been talking about this, right? Of like getting their voice in here, or at least getting them to hear our conversation today about thinking about, you know, sexual assault in terms of like broadening our idea from this like, yeah, heteronormative type idea. Um, but yeah, I just always want to make sure students know like who you can share the story with and that other person, you remain in control of your story, right? Versus who you share your story with. And unfortunately, then other people can now 
kind of uh, share that story, right? Or decide kind of where that story goes. I think um, along with that, I just want to add that, um, of course, the violence prevention educators, um, if Grace hasn't introduced this before, my apologies, and my apologies for me not introducing it, but so we're a relationship violence prevention student organization on campus, and we work to educate like the broader campus community about um, relationship violence prevention, and we teach people how to actively intervene in instances of violence. Um, we also support survivors, so we're a resource. Um, and then along with that, I did want to add that um, regarding Title IX, um, there's no obligation to, like, for example, like, pursue, um, like, how do you call it, like, legal action against your perpetrator. Um, Title IX is like a very, I would say, like broad bureau, and it can provide um, like supportive resources. And going to Title IX doesn't necessarily mean that like you've signed up to like take legal action. Right. Like absolutely. Our... Oh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, sorry. I, I did <laughs> want to clarify. Right. That's why I was using the word story. Right. There's a difference between sharing your story and deciding where your story goes. But just because your story may need to be shared in certain settings does not mean your choice of the action is taken away, right? And the Title IX office is a great resource for navigating what your options for actions are. Right. And unlike Title IX, Title IX needs to be or is required to be a neutral resource. Our whole thing at the Wellness Center is that we are survivor advocates and survivor supporters. So we are here specifically to help survivors with whatever resources they feel comfortable accessing. If that is Title IX, then we're there to help with navigating Title IX. But if that's not Title IX, then we have a whole list of other resources and ways that we can support survivors without having to report it to our legal system here, our office here, that that just focuses on you. You know, that's really what we're here to, to do, support you through whatever you choose and feel comfortable doing. I love that we're talking about all these different doors, right? All these doors that are available to students to walk through because they can walk through the well wellness center's door and find that support that's tailored just for them they could come to the counseling center and find that support tailored just for them get connected to similar or different resources right and the title nine office is yet another door right the rainbow resource center is a door as well in the fact that like right Brunel and then all the students that work there are so tapped into all these resources and if they don't know the answer they are so good at finding it right yeah, and so that's what's really cool is like all these doors that are being open to students. Yes, I'm really glad that we were um, able to address this um, in particular, uh, just to help people feel that they're not alone. There are, it may not seem like it at first, but there are resources here on campus for you. And there, if you come to like any one of us, um, we are willing to help you as best as we can because we want you to be able to feel um, safe and comfortable on this campus. You chose to come here. We want you to ensure that you can feel like this is a place you can enjoy for the next four or however many years you have left here. Um, 
Uh, the last thing I will uh, love to touch on is we briefly, some of you briefly did mention earlier, just like ways to like deal and cope with like mental health. Um, if you, if you feel comfortable, like just sharing more, like how you found that, um, that'd be really nice. Yeah, I can, I can definitely speak to that. I, um, and I've always loved art and I've, it's always been a huge part of my life, but, um, I think when I went to treatment, I had all this, uh, free time um, that I got to do a lot of art and I started doing these sketches that really showed how I was feeling um, and how stuck I was feeling um, and that was like kind of the first time I started doing my art focused around myself and my my emotions and my mental health and then I've developed that more into it's a lot of my art's political and about uh, political issues um but really that I mean spending time in the art studio and just like totally shutting off my mind and creating things has been just life-changing in my recovery experience um and I I always encourage people even if they're not good at art or they don't think they're good at art to to take that on and just sketch and just make random shit and then like just do whatever you want um with art because it's I mean it's so calming and it can be really really um, like a, it's a great way that for me to manage my mental health yeah I think um yeah, adding on to what I mentioned previously, that I make, like, electronic and rock music, um, I've found that, like, sort of, like, developing, like, my own personal aesthetic that, like, speaks to my experience as a queer person and as a non-binary person has been really helpful. Um, I'm a very big fan of designing sort of, like, sonic ecosystems that are just extremely, like, maximalist in nature and use, like, tons of different sounds so like just sort of creating my own little world has been like very very helpful and designing concepts work for that has been also super helpful and um yeah I think like in general like for the arts like in middle school I had an art teacher and her name was Mrs. Crawford she was great um and she would always say that there are no mistakes in art and I think that it would be beneficial for like each and every one of us to sort of like take that to heart and have more liberty and like creative expression. I can't say I'm particularly artistic like Lucy and Colleen, but I, I think I've found a lot of that doing little things that make me happy are really helpful. And maybe it's something silly like doing a face mask or going and getting myself coffee or hanging out and getting lunch with a friend. Um, but little things add up to really, you know, make me feel better. So, and also giving myself breaks, you know, just deciding, you know what, like, it's been a really tough day. I'm going to sleep in tomorrow. Um, and I'm very lucky in that I also have larger resources like therapy and um, medication and things like that to help. But, you know, for the things that big things like medication and therapy can't help with I find that the little things are also really great so um also I've found that advocacy has helped a lot with my um 
with my mental health, I just started, um, I go around, I, I work mostly with off-campus Greek life because that is a community that, I mean, homophobia and racism is deeply embedded into the Greek system and our school unaffiliated from them because of that didn't want to be associated with that. And really that's just allowed more things to happen without any kind of punishment. Um, and so I, I did a lot of work with sororities and now I'm doing work with the fraternities going in and talking about the F slur and talking about how harmful it is and how it feels to be called that, um, giving a firsthand ex like, um, experience. And, um, and because that word is so casually used in conversation, I hear it quite often within like the fraternity community. And so I'm targeting that and it's just drastically been made a huge impact on my mental health. Just being able to be like, I, I want to tell you what your how your words are hurting me. And that makes me feel so powerful. It makes me feel like I'm standing up for myself. And I think that's a huge um, thing is not being submissive to what they're doing and what they're calling me and my girlfriend or, or this community. I think um, similarly, I've sort of like channeled like my advocacy work not only into VPE but into like my academics as well um I, I can totally vouch for the independent major program I think that um like queer people as a whole like obviously we're inherently like non-conforming and I think that sort of applying that non-conformity to our academics and designing like an individual like academic plan has been like very helpful for my mental health um yeah and sort of like studying violence prevention and like really immersing myself in that has been very helpful as well and also like the thing with the independent major is that you can sort of like design it to have like um to prepare you like for specific careers so like I've mentioned the Trevor project so many times um so obviously I want to work for them uh yeah what I think is so great about everything you all just mentioned is it was like highlighting all these different parts of each of you beyond your queer identity right I feel like a lot of times when we think about like interventions and affirmation, we think like we need to create more like spaces, right? Like more RRCs. I mean, I totally agree. Like the RRC, like anyway, we could get into all of that, right? But alongside that, I think like the queer story is like dynamic and beautiful, right? And it's, and so then when we're talking about like ways to fill our own cup as minority stresses, poking holes in it and the advocacy work that we do, like means that we're constantly pulling in, like pouring into other people's cup, right? The things that we do for self-care, it's so important to acknowledge all the other parts of us too, right? And like, that's why oftentimes in, you know, we're, we're doing work in therapy or something, it's like okay, not just finding one person in one group to affirm all the parts of you, because I mean, come on, right? That's, that's a big ask. And sometimes one person or one group can't show up for you because 
you know, they're, they're dealing with their own thing at the time, right? It's finding that dynamic approach to finding how to affirm all these different parts of us. And that's truly separating, like celebrating queer people is seeing them as dynamic whole people, right? That's Kira Personalis. Yeah, um, a lot of you touched on a few things that I also like to do uh, just to like um, be in my own world, essentially. Um, so I like to, like uh, Lucia mentioned, I like to paint. Even though I'm not good at it, I still like to do it because it gives me free reign to paint like whatever I like, whatever I'm feeling at the moment. I like to go on walks because I like to just be with nature and just connect with it and feel its calming presence, essentially. I also listen to a ton of music. Um, I know people are very like picky about music. So I like to just listen to music that I like and just like feel the beat and just be with the beat, be in my own literal world and just like feel, doing things that make me feel happy essentially. Like going back to what you, um, what uh, Clarice about self-care, like that is very important. Like taking care of yourself should essentially be your number one, like it, and, it, and it can be tricky sometimes, especially being a college student where you're just like, oh, I got to get this assignment done. Oh, no, a deadline's coming up. Just um, and I think Grace mission is like taking breaks, like give yourself a break. Like it's very important. Like you don't want to burn yourself out. Um, I unfortunately have done that a few times and it sucks. So it's very good to like, like stop what you're doing and take a step back and just be like, let me take a few moments to like collect myself. Let me take a few moments to stop reading or typing whatever I'm doing. Let me just like sit with myself for a minute and just like collect my thoughts, I think is very important. And if anyone likes to, if anyone wants to like share any more random things that should be said or anything important that they wanna like share before we like wrap up this episode, feel free to do so. Yeah, I just, one thing is I, did it last quarter. I did a, no, the fall quarter. I did a research study on the queer experience in Greek life. Um, and it was anonymous. I don't, I don't know who the participants are, but, um, they all identify as bi. And I don't know if we have that representation here, but, um, they all identify as bi and they reported that every single one of our participants had been called the F-slur by a fraternity member. And so that's, I mean, that's something that I want to put out there needs to be really targeted. Um, one, lots of biphobia um, at our school. Um, it's quite, it's, it's quite disturbing. Um, and then like just having those conversations about why these words are harmful, the D-slur, how these words are impacting our community um, and also just pure education because I'm going to go into these fraternities and I'm not going to be blaming. I'm going to be like, I need to educate this because you you are all using this in such a casual way and it's so wildly harmful. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there because I think it's very telling of the queer experience here. Um, and, and my girlfriend who is bi has experienced extreme biophobia um, and so making sure that that is known, that even though we're in California, a very, uh, what I would say, a liberal school, um, there's still so much of this anti-LGBTQ plus things that are going on. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really important to just put that out there. Um, 
of course I have some like mental health resources to plug but before that speaking of populations that we don't even really talk about within the queer community is like the ace spectrum and our students who do identify as being ace and how there's really no like legitimate like a legitimized space for students with like those identities um and just like I always want to just if that voice isn't in the room or if it is in the room reminder like you can't see it right and and more of those assumptions right we assume a lot of times ideas about like romantic life being part of college or sexual life being part of college and it's so common in just our jokes and colloquialisms and assumptions that if someone doesn't have those parts of their life then it they're less than in some way so I just want to plug like I think that's a conversation we'll be having more of um but then in terms of resources right so CAPS has undergone so many changes in just this past year and it's always so useful for us to hear like the feedback from you all and um and today, you know, like I'm taking it all in and really like bookmarking it in my heart, but then also in my voice for sure. Um, but we do have SEQ, which is um, Santa Clara Queer, um, which is an LGBTQ plus affirming and celebratory therapy group on campus. Uh, I facilitate that. You can sign up for that through your health portal. So you don't even have to talk to anyone about it or um, by reaching out to me. Uh, I'm Clarice Leisteros. I'm one of the therapists in residence. You can also call the Cowell Center front desk. Um, we are expanding, right, our therapist who identify as LGBTQ plus affirming. That's kind of how we're navigating that, right? And like you all mentioned, you can look at the website, right, and see who is self-identifying that way. But in general, all the therapists are required to go through safe space training and to stay up to date on continuing education um, when like working with queer identifying clients. Um, and so we also have for students who live on campus, we now have walk-ins where you can sign up through your portal same day and see someone for like a non-crisis situation. Um, and that's how, yeah, we see a lot of students kind of getting in the pipeline to see a therapist faster. And then of course we always have walk-in crisis appointments during business hours um, that that's applicable to like every human being. And then CAPS 24 seven operates the 24 seven hotline. Um, and all the information is on the Cowell Center website. There's posters, um, hopefully in every uh, residence hall on campus and the elevators, the hallways, et cetera. If you see any spaces lacking that information, please let me know and I will I will get to tape in more posters and flyers up. So yeah. But thank you so much for providing this space today, right? Just to like meet in community and have this conversation. It's life affirming to me and and I hope it could be that for others as well. Uh, thank you all for uh, sharing and being here today. Uh, I really appreciated this has been very important to me, especially with it being like Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, I just thought this was very important to talk about and get out. Um, even though we were only here for a couple of minutes, <laughs> um, I still like the conversation doesn't have to stop here. Like um, it can keep going in um, various forms and like students as well. Like 
feel free to like bring this conversation up um, wherever you see fit, like addressing like your concerns as well is very important. Um, and even like coming to us with it, um, we can better help like um, show you and tell you how to like um, be advocates for it. And we can help you like fight for um, whatever you think um, the, the community here on campus needs more of, because I'm sure um, there are some things that are that are still being missed, um, but uh, we are here to help in any way we can. Um, again, thank you all for joining for joining me today. I really did appreciate it, um, and I hope you all listening. I hope you got something out of this. I hope you enjoyed the conversation we had here today. Um, and yeah, and that has been another episode of Border of the Street. Uh, thank you. Thank you so, thank much. so much for having us. Thank you.